Hey readers, it's time for another episode of the Novel Expressions Book Club. I'm Natalie, the youngest sister. I'm Jess, the middle sister. I'm Pam, the oldest sister. And I'm Nancy, their mom. Today, we are discussing The Rose Code by Kate Quinn. I don't think we've talked about Kate Quinn on this, on this podcast yet, have we? I don't think so. Okay. I don't All think right. so either, but I was definitely reminded of some other good books we've read by her, so we might have yes. to consider that. Yeah, yes. Kate, we're coming back to you for sure uh, with some of your other books for a reread. Um, this is also our first book that we're discussing after a single read. So maybe we'll have to do like a one year later, we read it again and see what else we find in it. But we loved it so much after the first read that I convinced you all that we had to talk about it. Well, I had finished it first. I shouldn't say like you guys didn't love it because you did. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think one of my favorite parts about this book is that it was based on real people, which I think is super, super cool in part because I loved the characters in the book. Um, but also just like the work that they did was so interesting. And there was like a strong female novel, which I can always appreciate. So I thought that was really, really cool that this was based on real people. I like that as well. And it was interesting for me because then when I found out that Prince Philip died, one of my first thoughts was, I know him. <laughs> right. So I felt like I knew him personally because I had read about him in the story. And I, I, you know, you, I get really into the books. It's like, they're all real to me. I think about them when I'm not reading. And so that was exactly one of my first thoughts when I found out that Prince Philip had died. And on an interesting note, Pam, in the last couple of days, there, there have been lots of news feeds about Prince Philip's upcoming uh, funeral. And one of the things that somebody shared was a photograph that their grandmother, did you see that, Natalie? Their grandmother had given a Prince Philip sitting next to this woman. Just, you know, this is before he became a prince in the late 30s, early 40s. And just, they said he was just a really nice guy and really fun to be with. And I thought, yeah, he was just a regular guy. Yes, he may have come from royalty, but his background was so crazy that um, he was just kind of a regular guy. Along those lines, I was reading some things and found out, and I, I, I didn't, I should have like written this down, but something like he was instrumental in changing how women were presented at court. Hmm. Remember how, you guys help me out, Osla, is that what we decided? Okay. Yeah. So remember how Osla was a Deb, a debutante that was yes. presented at court? It, I read this article that talked about how he was instrumental in changing that to not just recognize like the wealthy women who came from these certain families, but to recognize like everyday women doing accomplish, you know, making accomplishments and things like that. And I thought that was so cool. Cause I, I wonder, did his relationship with her prompt that, you know, kind of make him think about maybe we should change this up. Maybe that's not the way it should be. Right. Yeah. I, I remember um, when we were reading the, re- well, when I was reading this book, I 
thought that was like, I was thinking of the crown a lot because I watched the first maybe season or two of that episode and like in the first season or of that show on Netflix, but in the first season, it's when he meets Elizabeth and like they start their relationship. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, it's kind of how the relationship started and was represented in the series. And so it made me even feel more so like this is actually really is true. Yeah. Um, I did the I same thing, end. Natalie. I thought about the crown the whole time I was reading him. I was actually picturing the actor in my head mm-hmm. more than what Prince Philip looked like when he was younger because I had, and I, I was like you, I didn't watch every single season of the crown. Actually this season I stopped watching because it bothered me. I didn't like how they portrayed Charles and Diana so I couldn't watch it. But, um, but yes, I felt the same way. I was thinking about the crown the whole time. And didn't it say in the author's note at the end that she tried to stay true to a lot of Philip's words and the little things that he would say to make his character yes. as close as possible? Okay, that's what I thought. Yes. One of the other names that I, when we were, when I was reading the book the first time and just didn't know yet that it was based on real people was Middleton. One mm-hmm. of the twins that worked at Bletchley Park got married. Her new last name was Middleton. And I was thinking like, oh, that's cool. Like the Middletons must be like a society name just in English, England, that must be like a common name. And then come to find out, no, that actually is Kate Middleton's grandmother. Mm-hmm. And that that was like, again, a real person and that she then goes and visits the site. And um, one of the things that I also saw recently with um, Prince Philip's death was a picture of him and Queen Elizabeth at a Bletchley Park Memorial site. So I thought that was really cool too. Yeah, those things really happened. <laughs> so cool. So neat. And then all of this stuff, like, I mean, yeah, we could have probably gone and Googled this, but just like all of this stuff now being in the news as a result of his unfortunate passing, but um, mm-hmm. just really timely. Although he was quoted as saying that he thought it would be ghastly to live to be a hundred. And he was about two months away from his birthday, his hundredth wow. birthday. So isn't like, that interesting? 99 is pretty good. Yeah. He yeah. said he did not want to live to be a hundred. So he got his wish. And he'd been having health issues. I'm sure yes, it was, he had. wasn't pleasant, you know? Yeah. Right. So, uh, knowing that all of these were real women, who was your favorite? Did y'all have a favorite? Mm-hmm. I, I think we maybe all have the same favorite, but we'll see. Oh, who's going to go first? Go I'll ahead, go Mo. first. Do you want me to go first? Go ahead, Jess. Okay. So, I think voice-wise, Oslo was my favorite character, just because she reminds me of Beatrice's characters, but I think personality-wise, person-wise, I really liked Mab because I feel like she was going through a lot and had gone through a lot, and I liked that about her. So those, that would be my toss-up. Beth was definitely my least favorite of the three. And I yeah. could basically echo that exactly. That's Me almost, too. Exactly That's exactly what I was going to say as well. How about you, Nat? I agree. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, I so Oslo was, like, for sure my favorite, and I will say she also had gone through some things and, you know, sure. fought her way back to England to like, even though she's technically not English to like do her part for the war effort. So I just really appreciated that. Like, even though she could have just been a Deb, she wasn't and really wanted to do more. So. Definitely my so my question that I have about Beth, and I started thinking about this, the further along I got into the novel, do you think that potentially she was on the autism spectrum? 
because there were so many social things that she did not pick up on mm-hmm. or that she said that were totally socially inappropriate. And I was like, oh, she is. Got-. And of course, she's brilliant. Um, but I just felt like she had to be potentially. Yeah, she would get completely lost in her work the way she did and forget to eat, to sleep, to do anything. And that things were black and white for her and she couldn't cross a line because they were black and white. I really felt for her because I, I mean, her upbringing, like my goodness. And so that was one thing I really enjoyed about her character was seeing her get into her own and leave her mother behind and kind of Mm -hmm. become her own person. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. I think one of my favorite parts about her when she was coming into her own is when she snuck into, I think it was Giles's wallet and, and put money in there and took the condoms. Cracked me up because it did not seem like it was part of her character. Yeah. But, you know, she was growing and changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was funny. Um, I was just trying to find it, but I can't. I think that in the author's note, it did say something about many of the people who worked at Bletchley Park were probably, would have been diagnosed today. Wouldn't mm-hmm. be diagnosed then, but right. would be diagnosed today. Because there was no such diagnosis then. <laughs> right, yeah. And I found myself thinking several times like, oh my gosh, like I've pulled an all-nighter, you know, I've worked hard, but they were intense. And then, mm-hmm. I, and then I would just go, well, it's the war and they felt that put, but I think some of them that just was very much their personality when they had that thing they were kind of obsessed with, you know, or, or on at that time. Well, and that leads to what I thought was so significant about this story is the intricacy of their work. My goodness, just having all that detail and trying to break a code and having to do those strips and, and it was just mind boggling just to try to you know, to try to slow down and think about what that would be like, let alone actually have to do it. It's just amazing to me. And I thought the author did an excellent job of trying to explain it to, you know, a buffoon like me who wouldn't necessarily understand it very well. And again, that speaks to the research that she had to have done to be able to portray it accurately. I have to be honest, I had a hard time picturing the things that they worked on. Like the, the, the um, machines that were described like typewriters. Okay. I could do that. Mm -hmm. But um, do you think it's called the bomb? I mean, it just Mm -hmm. has an E on the end. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the bomb machine, especially uh, that Mab helped operate. I really struggled with that. The pictures at the end helped a lot. I wish I would have thought to look, Mm -hmm. you know, so that I could have had that visual the whole time I was reading because I did struggle with that. I also struggled with the kind of work they were doing just because I don't think I could do it. So it just was really hard for me to imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. The rotting in particular, I'm like, I'm like literally imagining them with like rods, but like, was that what they were doing? I don't know. So I agree. I think the other really important thing that the author made sure to talk about is how those women after you know, doing that war effort and putting in all of that time and that hard work and that brain energy, when they were done and the war was over, a lot of them went back to being housewives and housewives and mothers. And I think it was Mab, if I'm remembering correctly, was saying that she was worried she was going to be bored and that she was, she didn't feel as helpful anymore, like she was as useful. 
because she wasn't able to do the job that she actually loved. It might not have been her. It was one of them, but. Oh, I think that was her. She never imagined herself having children and just being happy with folding linen nap napkins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, but and I, to not be able to talk about it either. Right. Yes, right. right. Not to yeah. be able to talk about their work. I will say that that, even though that the setting here is England, um, a lot of the women who stepped up and worked in the factories in, in the United States, when their men went off to World War II, felt the same way. As soon as their men came back, the ones who were able to come back and were able to start working again, their jobs were completely lost to those men. It was like, no, the men have the jobs. And those women went home going, but you know, I, I found fulfillment in it and I enjoyed it. And now because the men are back, I have to go back to what I was doing before. And so there were a lot of women in the States who felt the same way. I do have to believe though, that there were some women after that intensity that were like, happy Relieved. to have a peaceful yeah. life. <laughs> right. <laughs> some of that was sure. crazy. You yeah. know, we all know that you can have a busy life taking care and, of a house and taking care of kids. Oh, yeah. It's very and different. And that's what actually led to kind of the, uh, how should I say this? The 50s kind of response, the 1950s kind of response to what happened in the you know 40s when the war was on was that, you know, madmen kind of scenario where there was a lot of drinking and they were having cocktail parties and things like that because all of that had been so severely restricted if even available during the war. Right. But you know, the difference is that we didn't have people bombing other than Pearl Harbor, of course, mm -hmm. which was a military base, but we didn't have people bombing our homes right? like the British did. And that I just can't even imagine, right. can't imagine. But I think you're right, Natalie, the idea that they couldn't even talk about it, I think that would have made it easier to be able to reminisce about the days at war, you know, and what that was like. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I hope I'm not taking something somebody wants to say, but just along these lines. Um, and at the same time, the men like Harry, mm -hmm. who struggled so much with, you know, they're, they look like they're just living a normal civilian life because that's what people perceive. And yet they're doing something extremely important, but it's so secretive that then they're getting, their kids are getting bullied over that. Right. That, would have, right. that had to have been really hard too. And to, it never occurred to me that there were men like that, you know, that were doing something like that and weren't allowed to talk about it. Yeah. One of the things that I also really liked is that because I felt like a lot of the book was a little bit heavier with the bombings and the constant stress of war, but I loved Asla's Bletchley's blutherings that she would have at the beginning of some of the chapters. And it reminded me of, and I don't remember which book, but uh, the Tit and Tattle. books. Yes. So which character was it who was writing them? Um, the mom. It was uh, Marshall, Mrs. Marshall, Teresa Marshall. Right. Yes. Um, every time I read the Bletchley, Bletchley Blatherings, it just reminded me of that in that book. And I just love those little snippets of gossip. They're so much fun. It was so much well, fun. And then how cool to see that like Asla actually had a book post that was published after she died called Bletchley Blatherings. Like, uh -huh. And then it made me go like, were those actual excerpts, excerpts? from her book? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I need to know. Yeah. It was, I mean, the research involved and the way that things were incorporated into this book were just phenomenal. Well, and how cool, how cool that many of them did publish book. They couldn't right. talk about it for a long time, but once right. it was, so, well, I mean, just like, why do you think this book's allowed to come out now? 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, why was Kate Middleton able to do everything with the memorial site? Like a certain amount of time probably had to pass. Certain things had to clear. Mm -hmm. The money had to be there to do all those things. Mm -hmm. But I love that, that their stories can be told. Mm -hmm. I do too. Immediately, you know. But it takes time before that'll be, that can happen. So one of the things that I thought was so curious and really told that this was a period piece was the fact that um, Asla was in Montreal. She needed to go get back to England to help with the war effort. And so she just used, she stole someone's, some person's international flight ticket and flew from Montreal to Lisbon. And I thought, Wow, today that could never happen. Where's your passport? Why don't your why don't the two names match up? You know, all those things that we have today. And uh, yeah, you can just take somebody else's ticket. Go for it. <laughs> that was crazy. Be kind of fun. Yes, it would. Well, I and mean, you have to like really protect your stuff if it's that yeah. easy for someone to steal your <laughs> ticket. It was crazy. The other thing that I just, I wrote it down as soon as I read it because I thought, oh, I know this feeling. Oslo was heartbroken over having to give up Prince Philip. And of course, she couldn't tell him why she had to give him up. And she really loved him. And I believe he really loved her, at least in the story. She said, why couldn't Hart simply be reset dialed back to their original setting. And of course, we all know that that's not possible, but haven't you felt that way? <laughs> It'd be so much easier to go on if you didn't have to have a broken heart. Mm -hmm. I, I have, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Pam. I was just going to say that I was comforted when I read the author's note and I found out that she remarried, yes. or not remarried, she married, married mm -hmm. before Prince Philip, because it bothered me because I thought she was doing the right thing for the country, you know, and doing what she needed to do and that she couldn't have him. So I was so sad for her. And I was kind of like, why did he marry Elizabeth? <laughs> you know, but to find out that in real life, she made a decision to marry someone before that, that, that made me feel better. And he actually did the right thing too. <laughs> I, I agree. 70 I, years later. I was into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was I into it. Osla and Philip. I, I also was a little bit irritated with him when she was saying how much she loved him and wanted to be with him, but she couldn't tell him why they couldn't talk. And he acted like it was such a big deal. And I'm like, you know that there's a war going on. Why can't you just back off and not press her for those secrets? Um, but I will say this is one way that I'm like, mom, I wrote down that exact quote too. Did you really? Because <laughs> I really liked it also. Oh, it's so I can't scary. believe you confess that. I yeah, know really? so many ways. Shamefully erase and permanently <laughs> Right. <laughs> wow. Did you write it on the brick wall? <laughs> yeah, I did. How'd you know? Uh, speaking of sad things, Mab and that whole situation with Lucy and her husband, whose name is already escaping me, her first husband, Francis, Francis, Francis. who like she, she finally decided and was like truly in love with and found this deep like bonding and, oh, and then the drama of the whole scene of like, oh my gosh, you're missing. And he had to go back and try to find her. And then they come out and they've got her boots and it's such a happy thing. And then Boom. I knew something bad was going to happen. I knew it. I just was like sick to my stomach. I just knew it. Yeah. 
Can you imagine watching that? No. Like seeing them walk out and you're just this sense of relief and then watching that wall. And then mm-hmm. the description of her like trying to claw to get to them. I, I, that'd be me. Like a hundred. Yeah. I mean, that's just so crazy to me to imagine. I think the most interesting part about, about that though, and I understand it, but I think really wasn't fair to Asla was that she blamed Asla for it. You know, he's the one who decided to go around that side of the house. And that didn't have anything to do with Asla. Yeah, and I really did feel bad for her because she was feeling terrible. You know, in the first place, you know, she's watching Lucy so they can kind of have their time, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they, when they leave quickly, she's holding, and it's just mass chaos. I mean, how can you be expected to hold on to someone, period? And then when that someone's trying to get away from you Mm -hmm. and not, saying i need my boots you know or whatever it i just oh that whole scene that was awful it really was and i really really loved mab and francis together i loved like the one time when they were in that room and they were passing notes underneath the bathroom door and just really getting to know each other and they were so deeply in love and i was so happy for both of them that i was heartbroken absolutely heartbroken he died yeah. Can I ask you guys something though? At the very beginning, when Mab meets him, were you in the least bit suspicious that he was not who he said he was? I was worried that he was trying to get information out of her and trying to get her to, to reveal secrets, that he really wasn't working for the same government that she was working for. I also felt like he was a little bit too good to be true. I was like, there's something fishy about yeah, him. Yeah, but- I was scared. And, and it turned out that it me. wasn't, but, but I love the fact that I was worried about that because that means that the author put enough doubt in there and intrigue in there that it was always a possibility or there, for a while it was a possibility. And I think it shows um, what kind of a writer she is. The fact that she did let someone we love die mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's the reality of war. Right. And, and even though we wanted them. Not Francis but- though. <laughs> I know, but, but don't you think that I, I, it's hard to say it, but it shows a good writer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. You know, that darlings. She, that's there's great. other ones I would have picked for her. Oh, I agree. <laughs> yes. Um, I will say, and this is real judgy, and I've never lost a child, so just let's bear these things in mind. I felt like it was a little bit weird that she named her second daughter Lucy. Yeah. Agreed. I agree, yeah. too. Well, I mean, I guess that probably is, like, people probably do that. I, the only thing I wondered about, is it because she was never able to call the first Lucy, her daughter, publicly mm. when she was alive, that she felt like in, uh, in order to honor her first daughter, she was going to at least be able to say, this is my daughter, Lucy. I don't know. I don't. I just wondered about that because she always, she was always referring to her as her sister. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if, she, if it, every time she had to say, this is my sister, it would just twist her heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I don't know. That's just a theory. Yeah. I think it's weird too, but I, I, it's just a theory. Makes sense. Um, so someone we haven't really talked about too, too much is Beth and the whole, like, I, whenever I would get to the, her chapters in Clockwell, Mm. I just was like, read really, really, really fast. Like, let's Mm -hmm. get through this. I can't, Mm -hmm. um, it was making me crazy. Just like 
the woman burning her cigarette on her arm or like what she had to do in the closet with that to get information about what, what a lobotomy was. And like, I, we've read books before where they have, you know, back in the day, putting women in these institutions, like whatever. I cannot imagine how did that procedure come to be? How was that okay? Like that, that was just accepted. It was a very popular procedure in the United States, Natalie. And I know fact, that's the worst part is like yeah. when they even said that in the book. Right. And in fact, uh, John Kennedy's oldest sister, Rosemary, what during her late teen years started having a lot of emotional outbursts and her father believed that she needed to have this lobotomy and she had it and it was botched. She was having seizures and violent mood swings. So she probably may have been bipolar, may have been a result of her seizure disorder, but her father arranged the prefrontal, prefrontal lobotomy for her in 1941. She was 23 years old and it completely and permanently incapacitated her. She was unable to speak for the rest of her life. And she lived in a nursing home, basically, until she was 86 years old, at which time she died. So for 63 years, she could not speak. And she, was, she had to be in a home. And they kept it a secret from the public for the longest time. When, when Kennedy was running for president, Bobby was running for his offices and such, it was a secret. Well, yeah. and look at her chest, was it? Mm -hmm. Whatever she was pit playing, um, yeah. Whatever it was the like game. a weird game. It was Go, I think. Yeah. Go, go. go. yeah. You know, that was what was kind of crazy too. We all have a good understanding of what a lobotomy is. The fact that Beth didn't know mm -hmm. and is in a place where how is she going to get information? You know, she can't just look it up on the internet. They're not just going to give her books to read. So she's trying to find out. She's so smart. She's listening. She's trying to figure it out. She hears that her friend is her partner, is ha go partner is having it. And then to see what her go partner is like afterward. I mean, it's no wonder she busted out of there like she did because that was crazy. Thank God Mab and Asla decided to show up there. I was so worried about that. The whole, like even the chapter titles, nine days until the wedding. And I'm thinking, but you got to get her out of there. <laughs> so worried. It's crazy. Well, obviously the suspense, which is what I've just been talking about. It was one of the biggest deals for me. I kept thinking, who is the traitor? Whom can I trust? What's going to happen? I loved that part of the book. I loved the, that aspect of the book that I wasn't sure who the traitor was. I eventually figured it out. Well, actually I suspected, and this is later, but I expected Giles earlier. And then I wasn't sure, but then I knew for sure. But, oh gosh, I was, was it, you know, was it Beth's boyfriend? Was it Giles? Was it Francis? Was it, who was it? Who was it that girl, Peggy? Was her name Pe Peggy? Peggy, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Peggy Rock. Yes. I didn't like that his name was Giles. I don't know why. I just need to I got to tell you, I pronounced it Giles in my head. Uh, I just didn't know how to say it. So sometimes I'd be like, Gilet. <laughs> when I'm listening to you guys, I'm sitting here thinking I must be British name ignorant because I told you at first I wanted it to be Ola. Once I learned that she was named after a place, okay, that gave me some context, you know. Um, but yeah, I would say Giles a lot of the time. So I'm glad you guys 
said his name before I had to. You mean you <laughs> dies? Yes, you dies, dies right. You <laughs> dies, <the laughs> <dials> right. <laughs> okay, so the suspense and when things started getting crazy. Two scenes in particular. So I mentioned this a few seconds ago when Beth attacks the guard to get out of the mental institution and she like bites his cheek. Mm-hmm. When Giles, um, when they attack him, when he's like running from them and they attack him to capture him, uh-huh. those two scenes reminded me of do you guys remember the huntress the lake doc yes yes the water comes up i was like "Ooh, kate quinn she's getting crazy again you know giving us one of those really intense fun suspenseful scenes we have to read that book for the podcast i love that one yeah and there was a little bit of that kind of idea in this too like Mm -hmm. some of those like these like kind of crazy characters and these people with these secret identities and things like that. I mean, she must like that type of, not that this was anything like it. I mean, there are so Mm -hmm. many differences, but she's just good at that. So when we first met Giles, when he was coming up out of the water and he didn't have his pants on and all that, and he was leading the girls into Bletchley and all that jazz. um, I remember thinking then while I was reading it, I don't trust this guy but I didn't know why I didn't trust him. Then, you know, he seemed to be kind of like innocuous, not a problem. He was just a goofball. So I kind of like dismissed it. But then when he got mad drunk and that whole thing about her keys, returning her keys, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, it's him. And then it was, I was thrown off because then they were talking about, Beth was considering that it was Peggy, but that was that did it for me was the the keys i suspected him from that point on what about the rest of y'all so i didn't suspect giles at all and didn't pick up on any of those clues until after uh beth had said who it was and then the girls started talking and sharing the different things that he had said to them or what he had done with them and i was like oh my gosh he really was playing all three of them mm-hmm. but i nothing no pickup at all well, Jess, I will tell you that the thing that I did not pick up on at all was that Oslo was with Giles. Ew, she was engaged to him. He's the one who gave her the emerald. He's the one who was sleeping with a bunch of other women and they were just friends. And I just couldn't believe that. I was shocked beyond belief. And I was convinced that the person she was engaged to was the pen pal that she had been like writing to that whole time. Like maybe they became friends after the war and it was just whatever they had been pen pals. And so like, I thought for sure. And then I same, like when she was like, Oh, well he's my fiance. I was just like, what? I know. And could you imagine being her and hearing that your fiance did that to your friend? And created oh all of this in between the three of you. And you're almost you're almost married to him. Can you imagine right. if it had been a little later? Oh, and the no. rage that I would have felt at that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that I mean, Osla had to like hold it together, right? Oh yeah, like, he had to play, to play her role. Way, when when you asked mom what I thought about him when when we first met him when he came up out of the water and he was you know whatever, first thing I thought about him was. This guy's a player. I honestly thought that's the kind of trouble he was going to cause, mm-hmm. you know, like sleeping around, just mm-hmm. whichever girl at the place, you know, which in a sense, he did kind of take a try at each of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That was to get information. That, yeah, well, but I mean, even probably he could he would have taken that both. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. A little bit of pillow talk, you know. Yeah. Now I agree with you. The key thing, I was like, he didn't really, she didn't really return the keys. But I didn't connect all the dots yet at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, so I liked how it, it planted some doubt for me, but I didn't necessarily figure it all out right away. So good. I love the way she did that. Love it, love it, love it. But the shock of the century was that Isla, or that Allah, listen to me, that Asla, oh my gosh, was engaged to him. That was just crazy. Something else that I thought was kind of crazy, and it just feels very foreign to me because I don't think that there are many things in this country that we rally around like this. But so Pam, you had mentioned earlier how Harry was totally bad for not technically being a part of the war because he wasn't off fighting and just how everyone came together in that and then also how everyone was so excited about the royal wedding and they were talking about it all the time and they were getting dressed up and they were having watch parties and I just I can't imagine anything like that like do we have anything here that we do that for as an entire country um I think probably the closest most recently would have been like presidential election. But I feel like this one was unique and special and, you know, for reasons um, where that was maybe more the case than like normally it is. And the only other thing I can think of read the war is like September 11th being something because it happened on our soil, you know, everyone kind of felt like it was personalized to Americans. Whereas I think maybe because England was being bombed, it was like a different is more personal for them. Mm-hmm. But I will say, as far as people being mean to others because of the war, I will say that that was an experience that the soldiers in Vietnam had when right. they came back. It was thing. a very, very, I mean, I remember that. And it was awful the way they were treated. Awful. But that was because they did go and fight, not because right. they didn't. Right, right. Yeah. They were called baby killers and just... And maybe because we don't have a royal family, mm-hmm. it's you know harder for us to understand that. And also, um, we are a much bigger country. Mm-hmm. That's true. Much more spread out. So that might kind of be it. I, I mean, I know that when, um, oh gosh, it's escaping me. William and Kate got married. And then when Harry and Meghan got married, I was kind of into it. Like, <laughs> I was, you know, reading stuff and looking at pictures and, you know, I just, it was a, and I think in this particular case, in this book and it being right after the war, I think that it was something uplifting, Mm -hmm. you know, something exciting and positive for them that, and also uh, it was cool to read. And I I feel like maybe this was in the author's note that even in, in that Royal wedding, they had to use some war rations and they had to, you know, save up some things just for some of the stuff for that wedding. And it's like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But this Royal super wealthy family still had that experience of some of the common folk, you know, of what they had to go through. I mean, of course not to the same level, but still, I thought that would kind of humanize them even more, you know? The other thing too, is that, um, they weren't expecting Elizabeth to become queen when she did. You know, first of all, she wasn't supposed to be the queen at all. Her uncle was the king. Abdicated, yeah. He abdicated. So then her father by default became the king and then he died. And she was very young 
when she took the throne. So the fact that this very young princess, or excuse me, queen, was getting married, and then there was some some dismay over the fact that she was marrying Philip. There was well, not didn't she have to get married to what? become? Didn't she have to get married to become queen? No. Oh, Absolutely. Wait, not. When, when, I feel like she totally did. No. When did Dad die? I thought she got married before Dad died. No, she. Uh, I think she was still a princess. I don't, I'd have to look it up now. I don't remember. Because I feel like even, okay, even for example, when, assuming this is all accurate in the book, but when Oslo went to that luncheon, it was Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. Is that the sister? Yeah, that's, it was, she that's was Elizabeth's princess. sister. She was okay. princess when she married him and then she became queen later. But she would have become queen regardless of being married to him maybe this is just from the crown but i feel like there was some reason that like she had to be married to be like not to be like eligible to be queen but i feel like there was something about that i'm gonna have to look it up or you're thinking of princess diaries (laughs) 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 love those movies possible (laughs) that's a good question to find out but yeah i think she was princess when they got married but you're right mom it wasn't much longer Hmm. before uh king george the i don't remember a number after his name but i think he had cancer or something yeah he wasn't very old no he was king george the sixth okay the other thing that i loved about this book is when we met mab's husband the her second husband and not really knowing anything about him and then having them find, and they're not really connecting on an intimate level with each other. And then for them to find out that they both work in the same thing, which explains why neither one said anything to each other because they couldn't. Uh-huh. And then to find out that they might've been at the same, well, they most certainly were at the same place at the same time. I just loved that revelation. I remember thinking when they were talking about needing an RAF or however, I don't know, maybe you don't say RAF. Okay. Uh, An RA, a soldier, would that be the right word? RAF? It's the Royal Air Force. RAF stands for Royal Air Force. Uh, The Raffers, uh, when they talked about needing one, I remember thinking like, I feel like that was Matt's husband. Like maybe he knows. And then (laughs) there he was. There he was. And I didn't see that coming. And by the way, thought it was so cool the way they just kind of all showed up mm-hmm. when they heard that it, there was a need and that probably kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier how some of them were feeling unfulfilled you know since that job it was probably like this ooh mm-hmm. we can do it again for a little while this yeah, will- we can get our hands dirty again yeah i really liked that mab's husband ended up being that and ended up showing up because I felt so bad for her after Francis died that it almost gives me a little bit of hope that maybe they'll be able to connect now that they have that shared past, even if she can't love him as much as she loved Francis. And I felt bad for him because I thought it's not fair to him that she would hold herself back. You know, Mm -hmm. he deserves somebody too. And so, yeah, I was glad about that too, Jess. And you're right. It would be kind of their connection. Right. Mm-hmm. That would be separate from Francis because it's not what he did. And they could talk about it with each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is nice. Yep. I also really loved that Osla did end up with JPE 
Cornwall or JPE Cornwall, whatever his crazy initials were. Um, and like the whole way that it played out, because I was thinking like Prince Philip, like obviously he's not going to come down to the jail because it was his wedding day, but like maybe he'd send someone and then to see him show up because she wore that coat. So so good. So awesome. And then she still got to like play her power card of like, let me call the Brits. Right. (laughs) I know someone, I might know somebody. (laughs) I also thought it was so cool how, okay. First of all, the fact that she kept writing to him, I liked that way this technique that Kate Quinn used because I think we learn a lot about a person when they write so we've talked about that in books before when they write letters to others or they journal or something like that also thought it was cool that she was actually sending them and even calling them like a note in a bottle letter in a bottle kind of idea Mm -hmm. assuming no one would read them how cool that he does actually get them and read them and knows about her and also just to go back real quick can you imagine that nightclub scene oh my no and you just like walk away from it Uh the guy you were just dancing with is a mess on the floor the guy who's just seen on stage no longer has a head i mean just crazy and we know that's the kind of stuff people saw Uh and and you know what that's why i think for mab to have turned on asla when the house crumbled on francis and and her daughter was especially horrible because she had been through a terrible tragedy like that where she barely came away with her life, where she watched that happen. And for, for Mab to have assumed that, you know, just to, to blame her for that, it just, I just felt so bad for Asla. Just felt so bad for her. And did you guys feel like she kind of kept that to herself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She didn't tell anyone about that nightclub scene. Yeah. Yeah. So in Mab except for her muse, he didn't know. No, you know, right? Mab no. didn't know that she had been through that, and that was kind of crazy to me too. Because I don't know when something like that happens, you tell someone, you have to share with someone, right? So that's why she was writing the letters. That was her way yeah. of processing everything because he knew he was there. He saw her in her vulnerable moment. You know, that's right. So, uh, sorry, I just need to change topics one more time because we didn't talk about the wedding of Francis and Mab. And I think maybe that's why Asla was my favorite because I felt like I saw a kindred spirit of her being like, <laughs> we're having this wedding right wedding now. I'm going to rile it and like rally everybody together, get everything organized. We're going to make it work. I'm going to go have the hotel staff go door to door and find a dress for this kid. Uh, I just was like, yes, girl, get this wedding planned. <laughs> yeah. From the organizer of the family. Right. <laughs> and I loved that as much as Mab might tease Osla about being like the silly Deb. Um, the silly Deb just got you a fabulous wedding together in the middle of a war. Right. And her connections right. totally made it possible. Like, I mean, the fact that, you know, like you said, her sister had a dress to wear. Mm-hmm. That would have just been something you just wouldn't have worried about. You know, right. if you really want to do it. The only thing I was sad about is that they didn't have the picture. Yeah. Because yeah. she didn't even have a picture of the two of them together ever. You know, and that's crazy. And how crazy to think about. Like, I mean, I have probably like a hundred pictures of like, you know, my child from the last week on my phone. <laughs> and why, <laughs> of your cats. and why <laughs> have you been holding out on us? Right. Good question. If you have that many. I don't. That's not true. I think you just need to have one of those Google photo albums. They automatically upload. Sorry, share it with us. Yeah. Uh I think so too. Let me see what I can do. Because listen, I have 
a bunch of pictures of Isla that I've saved. And every one of those videos that you send, I download it and I have it in an album. And watch it multiple times and get teary-eyed. Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. One Meantime, more thing Natalie want... won't let me come over and watch her. I have to pull out one of those videos. Right, because I'm always like, no, you, you can't know, come over and right. watch her. I've said that every time you've asked, basically. <laughs> one more thing I want to say about the book along the lines of her blaming Asla is I am happy that at the end, the girls didn't become best of friends again. I think that that would have been inauthentic. And it seemed like, you know, they were at a good place to where they at least weren't hating each other, but they all went their separate ways and they all kind of knew that that's probably where it was going to end. And I was really happy about that. But isn't that interesting as close as those three were through a war that events in our lives can happen that can just completely and misunderstandings and miscommunications and just life gets in the way and it can just tear apart friendships like that. And they were really kind of an unlikely threesome in the first place. Absolutely. They were and really were kind of thrown together because of the war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it is interesting that their relationship was bound to that. I mean, when Osla first calls Mab, also I liked how we didn't quite know yet which Lucy. one of them. Yeah. That was cool, you know. But um, the, the way that Mab is just so angry with her, and we don't even know why for a little while. I know. And I'm thinking, what yeah. did Osla do yeah. that Mab won't even speak to her? What is going on? And why is Beth in a mental institution? Right. Oh, yeah, it was, was cool. it was so well written, wasn't it? Yeah, the timing it was. and stuff was really oh, neat. So well written. We like it, Kate Quinn. We like it. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we forgot we didn't cover yet? Oh, I could talk we, about so this book for days. Ironically, we didn't talk about their book club. Well, that's oh, true. Yeah. They did it. Yeah. Maybe because there were boys in it. Oh my gosh, I'm just like you. <laughs> You're okay. turning into mom. Oh, Jeff, I'm sorry, honey. Whoa. You know, we also didn't have any medical diagnoses during this podcast. Well, yeah. oh, we did have an update on the lobotomy from Dr. True. We did. True. I did talk about the lobotomy. True. true. I thought, much. yes, that's a good point. Okay. Um, also didn't talk about Harry and his wife in that situation. So interesting. Oh, you that was what? weird. I mean, they was both it? they both kind of just went with it and agreed. I'm at least happy that they were open and honest with each other. Yeah. If they were going to do it. Sneaky. Yes. Yeah, and that like, was strange to me. And like, but, but we're doing it for like a... A, were doing it to take care of their son and ensure that he had all the right care he needed. Sure. And they had a, they ended up, I think as a result of their decisions, were able to keep a positive relationship with each other for him. Mm -hmm. And it seems like both of them were very happy with the other people. And polio was a real scare back then. I mean, that yeah. was scary. You know, my brother had to wear braces for a while because he was bow-legged and people thought he had had polio. We used to talk to my mom and, you know, say things about, did he have, does he have polio? Did he have polio? And she'd say, no, he's bow-legged. so interesting. I never knew that. I didn't know that either. That my brother wore braces on his legs. Did you know that our brother wore special shoes? 
<laughs> because he had monkey feet. Correct. That's correct. <laughs> they most definitely the terminology is terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ma'am, your son has monkey feet. <laughs> Actually, no. I don't think the doctor brought it to mom's attention. I think she was like, um, <laughs> she was like, we have a problem. <laughs> My son's feet look like monkey. Actually, I think his oldest sister, Pam, said, Mom, what, Mommy, why does PJ have monkey feet? And I went, monkey feet? Oh, no. Okay, well, if I did, I don't know. Right. Baby pictures of his monkey feet? I'm super curious. So instead, you know how your feet are supposed to like turn in like this? Your your brother's feet turned out like this. No. Or the opposite. I don't know. Whatever. They were like. (laughs) Tell us what they were. His real mother, Pam. (laughs) They were just kind of curled in like his. Oh, oh, like the fronts? Yes. Because then his. Shoes that he had to get his special corrective shoes. People always assumed they were on the wrong feet because they were turning them out. That's, That's what I'm trying to tell you. They were they went the other way because they were turned in like this. Oh, so his yes. shoes made them turn out. Right. Interesting. Okay. Not yeah. his feet. His feet were turned in initially. His feet were turned in, and the shoes looked like they they were turning them out because that's what they were trying to do. Correct. Yeah. But they, it did look like he had the shoes on the right foot, on the wrong foot. In fact, I had to think hard before I put them on him because it was like, okay, <laughs> they're supposed to look funny. <laughs> well, speaking of our crazy mom, the other thing I realized we didn't talk about is sex. That's mom. Oh, she was nuts. Uh, Certifiable. Ooh. And that dad was so passive. Oh. Oh. I, like, I don't even have words. Mm-mm. Just wow. How she would and pinch it, her arm? I was just going to say oh, that's that. that's yes. so awful. And then she essentially kind of like helped get her into the mental institution. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Oslin and Mab didn't know what they were saying when they were questioned. Right. Mom right. sounds like she was just so bitter that mm-hmm. Beth left her for a job. And how selfish. Ugh. And then to just like not even let her husband go visit. Uh, just, ugh. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it was yeah. Awesome. crazy. She was the worst. So, you guys understood the connection, like our mom, best mom. Right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these girls, readers or listeners, these girls give me a hard time every single time we have a podcast. But really, they're the most wonderful daughters that any mother could ever ask for. They I did made, not see that going there. Me, I they thought made, you were going to be nasty. <laughs> they may tease me and they may act like, like I'm crazy, which maybe I am, but they are absolutely the best daughters in the world. And I'm not the only one who says that about them. Lots That's the only reason do. we're nice to you is to kind of like make up so we can <laughs> Is that what it is? Yeah. We so they'll brag to, about you? You know, we just yeah. have to like take the edge off like balance it out <laughs> yeah, before right. the podcast we text who's walking with mom who's gonna <laughs> roast her usually it's we're all just gonna roast her uh, right we do fight about that yes all right i feel like we got most of the points most of the things again maybe we'll revisit this in a year and do like a, another deeper dive of whatever we didn't talk about in this episode but Cool. All right. So make sure you check out for our bi-weekly website posts and our pre-release posts on Instagram. Jess, what are we reading next? 
We are going to be back in two weeks with Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleon. Until we read again. Thank you.